Morning, everyone. Good morning. We're going to do something slightly different today. Um, similar to last week, if you tune in for our service last week, we did something called Lectio Divina, uh, which is Latin for divine reading. Um, and the, the idea behind Lectio Divina really simply is to have the Word of God, to have um, the Bible, Scripture read over us. Um, so many of us, when we come to reading scripture, I know I do this in particular, we, we can be very analytical, can't we? we? You know, when we're reading, and that's not always a bad thing, um, but there's some, sometimes something about just resting in God, inviting the Spirit, and asking God just to speak to us. And the idea of Lectio Divina, which may sound a bit bizarre, is that we let scripture read us, rather than us trying to control it, trying to sort of just, you know, grab things out of it ourselves. We just let it be read over us and receive what God wants to say to us. Let things jump out um, as the Holy Spirit prompts them. So should we do that together? That's okay. We're going we're gonna to read, um, uh, uh, well, I suppose to some, a well-known passage from uh, John 15, John chapter 15. And like I said, if you maybe today, just, just, just for fun, refrain from reading along in your Bible and just let this be read um, over you. And we're going to read that. I'm going to share um, a couple of short thoughts, and then we're going to read that passage again, and then we're going to pray. Amen. So, John 15. So, where you are, you may just want to sit comfortably. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Thank you that you're already here. We pray, make us even more aware of your presence, the love of the Father, the closeness of Jesus. You might just want to even put your hands out on your lap. John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear even more fruit. Already you are clean. Because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love.
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, folks, this isn't our um, big trinity... New Year sermon. If you came excited for that, keep your excitement stored up. It is coming. Um, Today instead, I'm just going to speak really simply on a couple of bits from this passage. These words that Jesus speaks to his disciples, and then we're going to read it again in a few moments. And it is, um, for the attentive among you, a gardening picture. Any gardeners in the room? No, two. Two gardeners in the room. (laughs) I'm a, I am a terrible gardener. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I'm a little bit ashamed to admit it, honestly, but I'm a really bad gardener. If you give me a plant, it will die. It will die a horrible death, folks. I'm not very good at keeping them alive. Maybe I need to go to the water garden and take some lessons. I'm a bad gardener. One of the sources of real shame in mine and Kate's life, honestly, is the state of our garden, uh, particularly as we live on a street where um, people are, are at more of a retired kind of age, and so their gardens are quite neat and um, green, and tidy, and ours looks like a scene from Jurassic Park. It's honestly a little bit embarrassing. I'm not a good gardener. I remember um, one summer when I was a teenager, to make a little bit of cheddar cheese, a little bit of money, I decided that I was going to become a landscape gardener. Just like that. I mean, how hard can it be? It's really hard. It's really hard to be a landscape gardener. My clients found out very quickly that I didn't know what I was doing. Um, And one particularly compassionate couple that lived in the village I grew up in, rather than just firing me, um, had compassion upon me and and got me to paint their garden seat, which was white, and they wanted me to paint it a bright blue. By the time I'd finished this seat, there was more dark blue paint on their lawn than there was on the actual seat itself. And needless to say, they didn't invite me back to do more work. I'm not a good gardener. I do know, however, um, I have it on good authority, that pruning, uh, this process of cutting plants back to enable them to grow even, even uh, more fruitfully, I know that pruning is an essential part of gardening. 
many plants, including uh, the vines of Jesus' day, if they weren't pruned, would become tangled. And apparently, you know, these plants can become so tangled that they literally grow to the extent that they get in the way of their own light. Um, so they, they, they inhibit themselves from getting the, uh, the um, what would you call it, minerals, resources that they need. And the result of this, apparently, is that these plants, instead of like, producing good fruit, they produce lots and lots of second-rate fruit. And um, whether you're making wine, whether you're growing olives, even if it's a rose bush, like what you want is good fruit. You want a, a good amount of good fruit. You don't want loads of second-rate fruit. You don't want loads of not-so-good fruit. You want the good stuff. And it's true of our lives as well. Like, we want to bear good fruit. Like, we want to be successful, don't we? We want to do well. We want our lives to matter. We want to have value and meaning and purpose. And yet, when we try and do these things on our own, we, like the vine, become tangled. We sort of become uh, turned in on ourselves. And the fruit that maybe, it maybe even seemed really good when, when we first had it, kind of, sort of, eventually we see is a little bit second rate and unfulfilling. But the promise of this passage is that when we abide in God, when we seek Jesus first, when we, when we choose to worship him, to make him the priority in our lives, in all things, give ourselves over to him, surrender to him, we can bear good fruit. And not just good fruit, but fruit that will abide, fruit that will last when um, uh, a new year comes around, um, I'm sure this is true for many of us um, in the room, but I, it always feels to me like a good opportunity to sort of take a little step back and have a look at my life again. Um, and honestly, ask myself, you know, ask God, Lord, where, where am I, like that vine, becoming a little bit tangled? Where, where do I need to ask you to prune me? Where do I need to ask you to cut certain bits off so that I can grow even more into the person that you've made me to be? And this isn't a process of like condemnation. This isn't about like, you know, digging up all the bad things we've done in the last year and asking God somehow to fix them. This is about just being honest and saying, Lord, I want you. And, and I know that left to my own devices, I create things. I create habits, routines that inhibit myself from experiencing more of you. And the good news is this, that in our passage, Jesus said that it's the good branches. It's the branches that bear fruit that he prunes. Is that amazing? Isn't that encouraging? It's the branches that bear fruit, the branches that are in him that he prunes because he always has more for us. So I've been thinking a little bit about where um, perhaps I've become a bit tangled, where I need to ask God to uh, prune me. And one of the things that's on my heart at the moment um, is this whole thing of loving other people. That, that old thing, you know, loving God, loving others, but really loving other people. You know, I found myself just, just praying the other day and saying, God, do I really love other people? Do I really love even your church the way that Jesus, the way that you tell me to, the way that you command me to? Do I really love like that? The defining mark of a Christian is good theology. That's a joke. The defining mark of a Christian is a fish on the back of your car. No! Nothing wrong with those things, of course. The defining mark of a Christian. I'm, we can say this all together. This is an easy one. The defining mark of a Christian should be love. Love. All the way through the New Testament, that makes the point over and over and over again that we should be known by our love. 
Jesus' views on love, folks, are extreme. He is an extremist for love. Look at verse 12. I mean, well, don't look at it because I told you to put your Bibles away. I'll read verse 12 to you of what we just read. Verse 12, Jesus says this to his disciples, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Gosh, I need to pause on that. The idea of loving other people is not a New Testament invention. God didn't suddenly get nice after Malachi and decide to come in Jesus and be loving. The the, the people of God knew it was an Old Testament commandment in Leviticus to love thy neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. The reason this is so revolutionary is because Jesus deepens this commandment. He says, no, don't, don't just love your neighbor as you think you should love them. Don't even love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as I, as me, as Jesus has loved you. That's a tall order. Jesus, whose love is so self-sacrificial, so outward-looking that when he looks at you, he sees someone worth dying for. That he was tortured and bruised and accused and spat on and twisted through thorns in his head because he saw you and he wanted you to know God. Jesus, whose love would literally take your feet right now and wash them. His love that saw you in eternity and thought that there was no cost too high to meeting with you. His love that looks out from himself and just looks to you in all of your mess, all of your brokenness, all of your tangled roots. He still looks on you in the eyes of love and says, mine. That kind of love. Folks, do I love like that? Do you love like that? Honestly, I I love my wife. That's a high standard for my marriage let alone the others around me in church. Do I love Mark like that? Pat, do I love you like Jesus loves you? Neil, do I love you with the same love that Jesus loves you? But that's the calling. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus sets the bar high. One of the ways that we do this is communion. We're not taking communion today. This isn't some sort of soft build-up. But communion, of course, we come to communion to encounter Jesus. That's why we take bread and we drink wine. We come to encounter Jesus. We come to remember all that Jesus has done. But we also come to see each other properly. Because it's at communion that we see each other through the lens of Jesus' love. We see each other properly, not just as a bunch of problems or someone that annoys me a little bit or a personality that seems to conflict a little bit with mine. No, we see each other as this is a person that Jesus died for, beloved by God. I remember I was on a, um, when I was at Vicar School, I went on a retreat to Dorset with a bunch of monks. Um, It was good, I recommend it. And when we were there, towards the end of the week, um, we all took communion together. And the way that they do it in the monastery is they have this table in the chapel and 
um, the monks, those who lived there, me and some of my friends were there, and then a bunch of other strangers who were there, all gather around the table, and um, someone comes around and hands out the bread and hands out the wine. And I remember this moment, it just, it's like, marked me when it comes to communion. Because I remember standing around this table, and as the bread and the wine was, was being given out, I looked at these people across the circle from me, people who were complete strangers, and I just began to weep. And honestly, in that moment, I looked at these people and I was like, I would do anything for you. Like, I, I would do, like, I, I love you. I love you like my own family. Like, it really felt like that kind of love, like the love that you experience um, through family, like that, that, that kind of closeness. And I, and I was just weeping and I just was overwhelmed with this sense of love. Like, you are loved by God. Like, the, the, the way that, that I'm seeing you in this moment is just a, just a, just a drop in the ocean, but, but it's, it feels like it's how God sees you. And I just wept and wept and wept and wept and wept. And that moment marked me. But how is it possible to live in that kind of love all the time? To live in the sort of love that Jesus calls us to, to love one another as he has loved us. Well, folks, Jesus does not leave us hanging. He says it right here. What's the answer? Abide in me. How do we love like Jesus? We have to spend time with him. We have to abide in him. We have got no hope of loving this supernaturally if we're not with him. If we don't let him every day fill us. If we don't make him the focus of our whole lives. You know, Jesus was able to do this. God in flesh, he was able to do this. He was able to live a life of complete self-sacrificial love because he knew what it was to perfectly abide in the Father. You know, this is the calling for us. It's only possible if we abide in God first. And when we abide in God, we can't help but love others because the overflow of God's love is outwards, isn't it? God just didn't just keep all of his love for himself. No, he created us. what we were saying earlier in the prayers. He created us. He lavishes his love upon us. And the pruning of this, the process of this can be painful. I'll, I'll grant you that. It can be painful. But the fruit is amazing. It's not easy to start praying for someone who's hurt you. But when you sit with Jesus, when you let yourself be filled by the love of God, let the Holy Spirit move in your body and then bring someone, even the most difficult person into your life, into that conversation. You love them. You begin to love them. You begin to see your heart change. You begin to... Make the default way you see other people. What's lovely? What's good about this person? Not all of their shortcomings. Not all the things they've done wrong. We start not to look at what we can get from other people, but what we can give to them. Our, our, our primary question isn't, do I feel loved by this person? But does this person feel loved by me? That's the kind of love Jesus calls us into. Self-effacing, where we're so secure in the love he has for us that we don't need to obsess over ourselves. We can just look outwards to others. We're freed from the burden of self-obsession. What's the result of this kind of love? I mean, I, I don't need to spell it out. We're all, we all, we all want to know this. We all want to know this kind of love. We all want to be the kind of people who really take seriously this command to love others as Jesus loved us. 
But he does give us a clue just a few chapters earlier in John 13. Jesus said, if you love each other as I have loved you, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples. Not by your amazing youth programs, as good as they are. Woo! Youth! Yeah! Not by your amazing worship team, as amazing as they are. Not even by the great compassion projects. The world will know you, Jesus said, by the love that you have for one another. Because the love I want to put in you is so supernatural. It's so beyond any, any earthly love, anything we could come drop in ourselves, anything, even if we gave all of our will, all of our passion to try and love like this, the love that God wants to breathe into us and for us to breathe out to each other is supernatural. And when that love's alive in the church, when that love is alive between us, the whole world can't help but think, these are Jesus people. These are God people. These are people of a different kingdom. How will the world know us by the love that we have for one another? Abide in God, love each other. Love God, love each other. There's a book by a guy called Frank Lauerbach. I'm just going to turn the alarm off. It's been buzzing. There's a book by a guy called Frank Lauerbach who I know many of us in this community have been reading, but he puts in two paragraphs what I want to suggest, which I'm certainly taking as my New Year's resolution and I want to offer to you as a New Year's resolution for yourself. He says this, as for me, I resolved... Oh, by the way, sorry, this is really interesting. He wrote this on the 3rd of January, 1930. Okay, great. 5% of people were interested in that. Right, so as for me, he says, I resolved that I would succeed better this year with my experiment of filling every minute full of the thought of God more so than I did last year. And I added another resolve to be as wide open towards people and their need as I am towards God. Windows open outwards as well as upwards. Windows especially open downward where people need most. Amen. Why don't we um, take a moment as I read this over us again. The band want to just come back up as I read this. I'm just going to read this. We're going to worship together. But even as God's stirring you now, just Holy Spirit, would you just continue to come? Thank you that you're already here. But maybe you just want to put your hands out in front of you again as I read this and just receive these words of Jesus as his words to you. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear even more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another.